Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Robert Mays of The Athletic joins me to break down some of the curious fifth-year option decisions around the NFL and take one final look at this year's NFL draft. But first, I wanted to tell you about another ESPN podcast. It's hosted by ESPN and Enscape contributor Dominique Foxworth. Yes, Dominique Foxworth, the Dominique Foxworth, my co-host occasionally on Debatable, a regular contributor to this show. He's smart. He's funny. He's talented. He's handsome. He's You get it. It's Dominique. Listen to his show every Tuesday and Thursday because it showcases Dom's unique perspectives in football, parenting, the NBA, and really anything Dominique finds interesting. It's a very good podcast, you know, because at least one time, every single time I listen, I have to turn it off because I get so angry at one of Dominique or, or Charlie's takes when it comes to usually the NBA, sometimes the NFL, but that's a good ratio. It is that good ratio of smart to I disagree, but it's smart to this is infuriatingly wrong. So as we gear up for the NFL draft, check out the Dominique Foxworth show. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. All right, joining me now here as promised on the show, making his return one week after Nate Tice, his podcast partner, joined us to break down the first round. We're going to talk about that with him a little later on. But first, Robert Mays, I want to talk about some of these fifth-year option situations because I feel like there's a couple very curious choices happening around the NFL. I think you're a little bit more surprised by some of them than I am. But th- <laughs> there's there's stuff, there absolutely some stuff to dig into. So let's do it. When Nate told me he was on the show the other day, I was like, oh, it's been a while since Barmo asked me to be on the podcast. It always makes me a little bit sad Why? when I hear about other people doing other people's podcasts. I think I just have like a real deep fear of missing out. So anytime <laughs> people I like are hanging out without me, it just makes me sad. I'm allowed to have other friends, Mace. I'm allowed to have other people on the show. I didn't say it was logical or reasonable. I just said that's <laughs> how I feel, Barnwell. Don't dismiss my feelings. Well, I'm happy you're here now. I, I, I would have felt bad if I had known that. Just next time, tell me if you feel that way. Well, I'll have you on. It's not a, I'm not trying to avoid you exactly. Uh huh. All right. I mean, we could talk about this off the air if this is a separate <laughs> issue. Uh, l- let's talk about a player who you know, maybe felt that way for a brief period with the Packers. It may still feel that way with the Packers, which led to a curious decision from him, I think, uh, when it came to his fifth-year option decision. Of course, most of these are going to be either a pickup or a decline. A team has the ability to sign a player from the first round of the 2020 draft for the 2024 season at a number that's dictated by uh, whether they've made it to the Pro Bowl, I believe, uh, their stat, their, their usage. But essentially a number that's a significant raise from their first four seasons. Jordan Love's number for 2024 would have been a little over $20 million if the Packers had picked up his fifth-year option. Instead, the two sides, the Packers and Jordan Love's representation, decided on a compromise, which I found really curious. And I want to know what you think about it, Maze. Jordan Love is going to get a guaranteed number of about $13 million for 2024, so way less than the $20-plus million he would have made if the Packers had just picked up his option. If he plays well, the Packers will owe him a little over $22 million. So he misses out on $7 million in guarantees by not by not trusting that they would pick up the option, but only gets $2 million if he exceeds expectations. So clearly, if you're Jordan Love's camp, you only do this because you're fearful the Packers are not going to pick up your fifth-year option. So Mace, I want to start there. I guess I had taken it for granted that the Packers were going to pick up Jordan Love's fifth-year option. Are you surprised that there was apparently enough skepticism and enough concern that Jordan Love's camp took a lesser deal to get a guarantee done? It's not that surprising. And looking at it a little bit more, it does seem like by giving him a signing bonus of $13.5 as part of this, like mm-hmm. right now, he gets the money right now, sure. and they get to drive down his cap number 2024 just a little bit when they have some excess cap value in 2023 after making the Rodgers trade. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there are benefits on both sides. And I think it's an acknowledgement that, you know, it's not a sure thing that he's going to be worth a $20 million cap hit in 2024. But also if we can figure out a solution where we don't have to eat up $20 million in cap space in a single Mm -hmm. season, is Mm -hmm. that beneficial to us? So I think that it's a mutually beneficial thing in some ways. And I don't think it's alarmist necessarily. 
I okay. So number one, I would say I, I can understand wanting to spread out the cap hit, sure. But you could have negotiated if you're Jordan Love's agent said, okay, we'll give you a one year deal for the fifth year option that's guaranteed, and just do that as a signing bonus. You could spread that out however you want, but we're getting our money now as opposed to getting our money up front. Getting a seven million dollar pay cut or a seven million dollar discount on what that figure is is a little surprising to me. But then. Like, we don't know what Jordan Love is yet, of course. We've only seen him throw a handful of, of NFL passes in meaningful games. He had better numbers last year, but that was mostly just one slant that Christian Watson took to the house, I believe, <laughs> against the Eagles. Is that right? That sounds right. I think he had like, like a five-yard slant that Christian Watson took 65 yards to the house, which great move for Jordan Love's numbers. Uh, but realistically, the people who know Jordan loves chances of succeeding at the pro level the best right now are the people who have been watching him in practice who are the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers just traded away Aaron Rodgers, who was not that great last year, but is still a guy who won back-to-back MVPs the year, the two years prior, traded him away and handed their starting job to Jordan Love, a player who they're now saying, at the very least, yes, they're going to create some cash states, but at the very least, we're not totally sure about picking up your option for 2024. So those two situations just kind of seem at odds with each other for me. A tiny bit. I think they were ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers no matter what. If oh, you're sure. a Packer, if you're a Packers fan, I think you'd like a little bit more of a full-throated endorsement endorsement of the guy who's about to take over. I don't think this is necessarily something to worry about, but like, man, I wish they were more excited about this because uh, moving on the way that they did. But again, I I understand it. Like they haven't seen him play a ton, even no matter how much practice reps or how many practice reps you've seen him take. I can get being a little bit apprehensive about guaranteeing him all that money into next year. But if I were a Packers fan, I would just want it to be a little bit more sure than this. I guess that's what I'd say. This feels a little like the Mark Sanchez pity uh, extension after the the Jets tried to sign Peyton Manning a few years ago. Where you're just like, <laughs> yeah, you're committing, but like they're like the Derek Carr deal from this past year where it's like you take a look at it and you're like oh, actually wait no i i don't know i i, I just it, it just feels so odd to me like you don't see teams hedge their bets typically with quarterbacks at least this public but maybe more of them should maybe that's a fair point but they don't though like 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 this is out of character I'm not saying it's wrong i mean the giants probably look back and are upset they didn't pick up daniel jones's fifth year option but or do something like this the idea that right. there was a middle ground that they could have found this would have been even better but it would have been perfect let so me ask I, you. I, I think oh, we ahead. should commend the packers for finding a creative solution to this issue oh it's a great move for the packers no question but i'm just shocked that jordan loves side for you know players typically bet on themselves or but you isn't know, this about it himself to an extent? Absolutely he the, not. He gets the money in his pocket now, and the deal was worth up to $22.5 million. So if he hits the incentives, doesn't he get the same amount of money? He gets more money. But like, like I, I guess the thing is, what do you think the chances really were that if push came to shove two weeks from now, the Packers, who have no other quarterbacks of meaningful note on their roster besides Jordan Love, who used a first-round pick on Jordan Love three years ago, and who just traded away a Hall of Fame quarterback to install Jordan Love in the starting job, what do you think the chances really were that they were not going to pick up that fifth-year option, which would have guaranteed them that $20 million either way? Oh no! I, do you really want to start playing hardball like the first moment that you get with the franchise? And I, I just, I, I understand you know, it for both sides. You know me. You know I'm playing hardball every chance I get. He also, David Mulligan is also his agent, so I'm surprised there maybe wasn't a little bit of hardball <laughs> on that side of things. But it, I, I just, I'm not as worried about it as you are. I understand okay. it for both parties, and he, there's a chance he gets up to. We don't even know what the incentives are. Maybe they're pretty easy to reach incentives, sure. and this is just the Packers protecting themselves a little bit, but really not wanting to shortchange him in the end so let, let's see what the incentives are you know if he's starting 65 percent of the snaps and that gets him the 13 or the 7 million that he's missing here then is this really that big of a deal mm, what if the incentives are like does not appear on the joe rogan show at any point during the season i, I think that's an easily uh likely to be earned incentive that's <laughs> so I, I think that's probably worth it on his end um the other fifth year option that was surprising to me, although you're, you're playing Mr. Cool here. You're playing the, oh, I, I, I knew all these things were going to happen uh, side of the coin here, which I appreciate. Chase Young, second overall pick from the Commanders, coming off of really two lost seasons um, because of a knee injury. 
the commander is to not pick up the option for the second overall pick in the 2020 draft chase young i i'm not gonna i don't wasn't as surprised by this as the jordan love situation but i have to admit i i kind of figured the commanders would take the plunge and go after chase young for 2024 17 and a half million dollars fully guaranteed under that fifth year option as the second overall pick that's a ton of money for a guy who missed an entire season did not miss most of the prior season and hadn't played well during that season in nine games in 2021 he had a sack and a half yeah he was in four quarterback hits I mean it was pretty obvious even when he was on the field that that jump that leap that progress that we were hoping to see from Chase Young in year two hadn't started and that combined with what I have to assume is sort of dissatisfaction with his attitude his mentality at times during this stretch it's not that surprising I mean we're talking about one full year of production for this guy Mm -hmm. and even that full year production was more raw splash plays than him really showing you that he was going to be this transcendent defensive player that he was drafted to be Okay, so those raw splash plays were enough to win defensive rookie of the year that year. Like, I feel like you're underselling how good he was as a rookie. It's not I was, like- I was honestly not that impressed with how he was as a rookie. I, oh. I did not, I really did not think that he was. I thought he had a long way to go in terms of refining his mm-hmm. plan as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a lot of, you know, again, he had 12 hits. He had 12 quarterback hits and seven and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. That that sack rate is not indicative of how disruptive he was snapping and snap out as a rookie. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping that he would take a significant step forward in year two, and that didn't happen even before he got hurt. One of the other players who won defensive rookie of the year votes that year was Patrick Queen, who also had his fifth year option declined uh, this week by Baltimore. So maybe just not a great draft class when it came to defensive players, as it turns out. But I, I just... You know, that 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 $17 million is a lot of money, but when you think about the market for edge rushers in the NFL, that's it's a, it's, a, it's a lot, but it's not that much where you're thinking about, oh my God, that's an, an, an extravagant sum to spend on a player who's not necessarily a superstar. Like Emmanuel Agba is basically getting $16.5 million over the course of his deal, according to the average annual salary. Um, you know, someone like Zach Allen is getting fifteen and a half million after one solid season or one significant season. Really, a different sort of player, of course. But you know, it's not like like it feels like that risk of maybe running into a player that you're not thrilled about for seventeen and a half million dollars wouldn't be the end of the world. And the upside of having that player around if he breaks out in twenty twenty three, which I mean, this is still a guy who has a second overall pick coming into the league, seems like it would be worth the upside to me. But really, not to Washington. There's probably a little bit of a light of fire under him elements to this where, sure. where you want to see what you can get out of him. And there's a little there's less downside than there is in other positions, right? Because it's not quarterback. So I believe the salary cap or the franchise tag for defensive ends heading into next year is slated to be like twenty four million dollars or so. Yeah, so it's not that big of a difference. So sure. you, it's six and a half million bucks. So this is a six and a half million dollar downside bet. If you're Washington and they have $89 million I mean, in cash. I mean, the good news is year. the commanders have never antagonized someone with the franchise tag before and had it turn out negatively for the uh, for the franchise. So no issues there. I, I think that Kirk Cousins was giving them everything he could uh, during it, those those years where they were antagonizing him. I'm not sure Chase Young has given everything he can to the Washington football franchise since he got there. So, so what, I, what would you do if you're the commanders? Like there was some talk about maybe trading Chase Young during the draft. Obviously, could still happen. Would you? I think you're selling super low there. That's oh, that's sure. the argument but, for but me but against which, it. Would you rather sell low than not sell at all and end up with the player who's going to move on next year anyway? You can tag him. I mean, if he, if he saying, breaks out in a big way, right? But I'm you, saying, let's say he doesn't break out. Let's say that he just is anonymous and then leaves anyway. Like, like you would have missed your chance to get something for him now. So if you've if you've sufficiently soured on him. To the point where you think he's not worth that fifth year option or not worth that bet on a fifth year option, would you consider trading him now? What do you think he would go for right now? Mm, that's a good question. That's I think there's a question of what would he go for and what would it take for the commanders to do it. Obviously, you're not going to get a first round pick for him. I don't think no. you get a second round pick for him. Okay, so I, let's say it's a third. And let's say he breaks yeah. out in a big way this year and he goes and walks in free agency. You could get a third round compact for him anyway. If if you're the Niners and you can get Chase Young for a third round pick, like you have to, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of bet that you're making. But again, if, if he walks and he plays really well, but if, even if he plays really well, I still feel like you tag him. And if you don't want him around, you could potentially trade him. I just oh, don't sure. see the I just don't see a ton of downside by by de- declining the option here mm-hmm. at, the, at this position specifically. Like with quarterbacks, I think that we've learned that you can get really burned by doing it. I, I just don't know how burned you're going to get if you're Washington, if the guy has 15 sacks this year, which mm-hmm. I think betting against that is not a bad bet. Yeah, but if you're betting against it, why not just get something for him now as opposed to, like, I, I, I guess, like, you sort of brought up the idea of lighting a fire underneath him. Isn't it also possible that just further disgruntles him? Like, why am I, you know, working my tail off if he's going to work his tail sure, off? Sure, then he walks. Doesn't buy in? I, I just okay. don't think, I think missing out on that third round pick isn't the worst case, like, isn't the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to kick yourself by missing out on that third round pick for not trading Chase Young coming off of, like you said, a season and a half of missed production. Like, you're selling as low as you possibly can on Chase Young right now. And I think it's probably a better bet to see what you get out of him and if he plays well and you don't want him around or if he plays well and you're not willing to spend all of that money on your defensive line after paying Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne potentially extending Montez Sweat because he's been a better player than Chase Young during their time in the league, then maybe you can tag him and trade him. There are so many teams where I look at their second round pick next year and I just think that would be so nice the Eagles trading a second round pick. Maybe maybe the lesser of their second round picks with the Saints for Chase Young. I don't think the commanders would do that because they're in the same division. What about the Rams who wanted to what get about, Brian Burns? What about my team? 2025 first round or second round pick? You interested in the 2025 second round pick for Chase Young? It, well, the Eagles traded the 2025 fourth round pick, right? But they just traded like the furthest pick yeah. into the future they could. Well, the, Bear, the Bears have the Panthers 2025 second round pick. Ooh. So that, that's what I'm thinking. Mm, like how you just trashed Chase Young for five minutes, and then you immediately went to maybe the Bears could get him. It's, I think you'd make bets on tarnished assets when you get a chance to. You see what you got. Is that is that how you explain the Chase Claypool trade? <laughs> I I explain the Chase Claypool trade by I understand the process. I'm not happy with the results. <laughs> I if you're a Ryan Poles and you're sitting there and you know you need to upgrade the pass catchers around your quarterback. Oh, you sure. Know, you know the receiving free agency class is going to be absolutely horrible. And you know that you're probably not going to have one of those guys available to you in the draft. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, the only guys available at that stage of the draft at receiver were the Josh Downses of the world. I But spending a high second-round pick to do that is an issue. The problem is, if you thought the Green Bay was going to trade for him and you just didn't want to let that happen, I don't think that's a good reason to finally pull the trigger. But I understand the circumstances that led to the Chase Claypool trade, even if watching the Steelers pick use the 33rd pick in the draft broke my soul last week. At least they didn't trade it for a first round pick. I mean, yeah, that's it. I, I don't know what I would have done. So uh, obviously you can't predict injuries when it comes to players taken at the top of the draft. And and Chase Young obviously still has plenty of his career, hopefully, to write and overcome that injury. But is there anything teams can learn from you know, drafting a player who I think everyone regarded as a superstar coming into the league at two and then having him not even play out his fifth year option with Washington potentially. When the Bears, when there was a talk about the Bears trading down from one, there were a lot of people who said, you know, you can't go down too far because you can't risk out on missing a Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter. Like you still have to be in range to get one of those hyper elite defensive players as part of this overall package. And I just said, absolutely not. <laughs> That's not that shouldn't play into your thinking at all. Like you should get the most you possibly can for the pick because these guys who are considered these super sure things at the top of the draft, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't play out that way. I mean, that's maybe every once in a while you have a guy come along who's going to be a Nick Bosa and he's going to give you that sort of impact. But I just think we know so little about which guys are going to succeed, which guys are going to fail, that I think that you have to do everything you can to get the most from that package as possible. And Chase Young is the guy that I had in mind because we talked about Chase Young that way heading into that draft where he was this can't-miss defensive line prospect. He was going to be a transcendent player, and he was one of the best non-quarterbacks to come along at the top of the draft in years. And that didn't happen. So I just think thinking about it that way has a lot of downside and a lot of pitfalls. You know who? Do you remember who else was drafted on defense in the top ten of that draft? It I was don't really Chase Chase Young at two, Jeff Okuda at three. That Jeff Okuda, Jeff Okuda is another great example. Yes, <laughs> Tarek Brown at seven, Isaiah Simmons at eight, and C.J. Henderson at nine. Javon Kinlaw yeah. at fourteen. 
AJ Terrell at 16 was the first defensive player in that draft. Sorry, no, Brown had his fifth year option picked up as well. Sorry. So uh, of the of the first 15 picks in that year's draft, one, two, three, four, five, six were defensive players, and one of them had their fifth year option picked up. Those are guys who were considered the best players at their respective positions in the draft. No one's can't miss, but Jay Shen was as close as it could be given his college production and pedigree. And that's where we are. And Remember I think how that, uh, Jeff Okuda was considered a really safe prospect. Oh, like Jeff, you, Jeff, Jeff Okuda just had a really high floor. Jeff Okuda. Once you get him with Matt Patricia, you know, you got to figure it's defensive minded coach, great defensive player. It's going to be easy. And to be fair, Jeff Okuda did get better last year without Matt Patricia in the mix, but I still got traded for hard. a fifth round pick. This stuff is hard guys. And, and I think that's, it's even worse actually when you get further down the defensive list. There might be, I I think like two or three of the fourteen defensive players in this draft in the first round of this draft did not have their option picked up because you get to Damon Arnett, Caleb on Chason, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks, Patrick Queen, Noah Igbenogany, Jeff Gladney. Like some of that stuff, obviously, you know, off field incidents impacted things, but that's just dismal for the first round class when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. And I think that brings us to sort of the biggest decision I think a team made in the first round of the draft while you were you were doing your hours and hours of live video for The Athletic um, with Nate and Dame Brugler. The Texans use the second overall pick on CJ Okuda, and then they trade up for the third overall pick and draft Will Anderson. And I feel like this has been a, you know, it was, it was interesting during the night, but there was so much to talk about that it kind of got almost lost in the shuffle a little bit. And I feel like after the draft, it's become a really significant talking point we've seen people defending it we've seen people arguing in favor of it people against it now that you've had a couple days to kind of think about it and and consider the context and think about you know what the texans gave up and what that could mean for this year and next year how do you feel about this decision to go out and get you know sort of two cornerstones in this year's draft uh in, in stroud and anderson if we're talking about it purely in terms of value in a vacuum it's not a good idea I mean, it's an objectively bad idea. When has this worked out where you've traded all of this draft capital to go up for a non-quarterback? Julio? Is Julio Julio the one one example? Julio is probably the best example. But there are other recent examples. Marcus Davenport, the Bills trading for Sammy Watkins. Mm -hmm. Sammy Watkins was supposed to be that guy. Sammy Watkins was the can't-miss prospect that it was worth that trade in the moment, according to some people. And I think it's just really hard to live up to that sort of investment in terms of draft capital. When you're trading away a future first round pick for that guy, and when you're trading away a future first round pick, when you're not a very good football team Mm -hmm. right now, I believe the odds say that the Cardinals have the the best chance to have the first and second pick in the draft because of where the Texans are supposed to finish. That that is how bad Vegas thinks the Texans are going Mm -hmm. to be here. And Nate and I were talking about this on the, the podcast that came out today. You look at the Texans offense and they've filled a lot of those holes with useful players. You know, I think that they have guys that are going to put CJ Stroud in a decent, if not great position. Mm -hmm. They have Robert Woods. They have Dalton Schultz. You know, hopefully John Mechie will be solid in year Mm -hmm. two. They have set him up to not be in a terrible situation where he can kind of survive his rookie year. And I think they should be commended for those sort of moves. But I think they're going to get to the end of this season and even in, in an optimistic viewpoint and say, yeah, we really need to upgrade. Like, let's see if we can get some real weapons in here and try to make some noise with this quarterback who showed a lot of flashes as a rookie. You know what? This is great. We can use our top 10 pick because we weren't a very good team to find a Marvin Harrison Jr. or some other you know high quality pass catching option like that. Oh, sh- darn it. <laughs> we traded it Thank to you. the Cardinals. Thank you for self-editing. And so, and that that's where we are, you know, and I just think that that timeline is so easy to picture and that's exactly what you're looking at when you make this sort of move. Okay. Let me play devil's advocate here. If, if you're the Texans, this was a, a weird draft, right? It felt like there were not a ton of players with first round grades. Uh, when you, when, when GMs around the league would talk about how they felt about this draft kind of felt like after the, the top few picks, it kind of got into a lull. So obviously taking CJ Stroud, I don't think anyone has any issues there in terms of drafting a quarterback high. They needed a quarterback. Stroud, you know, for whatever nonsense came out in the final couple of weeks, had a, a excellent reputation with someone who was going to be considered one of the top prospects in this year's class. And even though Will Anderson is not a quarterback, he does play 
the second most important position in football, according to contract value, which is edge rusher. And if if you didn't feel like there were many stars in this year's draft, does going for Anderson make sense as a, you know, we're going to get two guys we considered worthy of drafting with the second overall pick? I understand that thought process. You just don't agree with it. I just don't. I, I just think that there's immense risk in thinking that way. If you're the Texans and you just we have all this draft capital, like eventually it has to turn into needle moving players. Mm-hmm. And we think that Will Anderson is that sort of player. I also think that it's important to consider the type of person that Will Anderson supposedly is. You know, this guy that is just this rock solid presence that was that kind of light, that shining light for even a program like the University of Alabama. Those sort of bets, I think. I can understand that. Like we want to bring in a guy who could be in a foundational piece for us for the next 10 years. And we think that we did that on both offense and defense in this draft. And we can create some excitement and we can really kickstart this thing after just being dormant as a franchise for the last few years. I get all of that stuff. I just think that it's a huge, huge risk. And I think that when you get the next year and we get to next year's draft and they're potentially giving away the number two pick in the draft and Will Anderson had you know, six and a half sacks and he's a good player, but he's not somebody that's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate every single year, which I think is a reasonable expectation that he ends up becoming a very good player and not a superstar. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to look back on this and say, man, they gave up a lot for that guy, even if I understood some of the thinking in the moment. If you want to come up with an NFL comp, how good does Will Anderson have to be to justify this trade? It's it's a great question. I I think he probably has to be in that like all pro pass rusher conversation almost every single year. And I think that tier as it currently stands is probably comprised of TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons. Yeah. I mean that that's that's you know, four guys deep. And there, there's a lot of players who are really good in the NFL who are not in that tier. Joey Bosa isn't in that tier. Max Crosby isn't in that tier. Um, you know, Von Miller was earlier in his career, but as Von Miller went on, like after the Super Bowl, Von Miller was not really in that tier. Um, it, 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 it's really hard to draft a guy and feel super confident that you're going to get that caliber of player. And I think the the nightmare scenario maybe for the Texans is one you, you've sort of alluded to but haven't really spelled out yet, I don't think, and that is the Caleb Williams scenario, which is the Texans are really bad next year, which is, again, you've said they were the, the second, possibly second overall pick projected to be. That's not that far off. Not crazy to think they could finish with the worst record in football. Caleb Williams has another great year and is a you know the best quarterback prospect you know since Trevor Lawrence, which is not that long ago, to be fair. But the Texans not only miss out on using their first-round pick next year, for Caleb Williams, we miss out on getting three or four first round picks next year for for the pick they would have used uh, next year in the first round. And I think that's, you know, the the scenario where this could go from being a bad deal to being a truly, truly franchise altering, terrible deal for the Houston Texans. It doesn't even have to be the first overall pick. Let's say oh. the Cardinals are the worst team in the league, which I think is they're trying. I'd, I'd put money on it. I, I think the Cardinals are destined to be. You know, one of the worst three teams in the league, barring some miracle of coaching on both sides of the ball. I mean, they are an absolutely <laughs> decrepit roster. It's it's horrendous. Okay, let's say they're they're the worst team in the league. I think that the the Cardinals in that circumstance should take Kalen Williams with the first overall pick and try to trade Kyler Murray. I agree. I, I don't even think it's really a conversation. So let's say you have the second overall pick and you're the Texans and Drake Bay is what he is supposed to be. And he is that guy that teams are now clamoring over because the Cardinals are going to take Ja'Kale Williams with the first overall pick. Mm -hmm. If I'm the Chicago Bears again and Justin Fields does not work out and I have the ninth pick that's mine and the 12th pick that's the Panthers. I could trade those two picks to move up to number two if, with the Texans. But now the Cardinals potentially own that pick. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about multiple quarterbacks who mo- might be worth a substantial haul going in the top five of next year's draft. And now you've missed out on the chance to be in a position to draft both of them or trade those picks for both of them. Mm-hmm. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I, I actually went and did the numbers on the Jimmy Johnson chart, which admittedly, a lot of teams don't use that chart anymore, but it, they do use it when they talk about trades with other teams. Most teams have their own internal chart that they use. Um, but if the Texans are the eighth worst team in football next year, this trade amounts to um, giving up the first overall pick and a second rounder to get Will Anderson. If they're the fourth worst team in football next year, it's the first overall pick and an additional first rounder to get Will Anderson. Like it, it is a it is a staggering bet for a team that was not forced to make a bet. They they didn't have to make this decision right now. And I think, you know, I I, I can see the sort of the exhaustion that comes with looking at teams, especially in other sports, like the Thunder, for example, or, or the Sixers, when the Sixers were really tanking, that feeling of like, okay, like we're sick of having 18 first round picks in the future. Like at some point you have to take those selections. But the idea that they had to do this right now just doesn't add up to me. They're not one edge rusher away from being a competitive football team. We're in year three, you know, of, of Nick Casario, right? This is the third draft. They, I guess they had two first round picks last year, but I can understand wanting to inject a little bit of excitement excitement into the process. I can understand but you Ryan's, a quarterback. I, seems to go I, way, no? I wouldn't have done this. Again, I'm trying to talk myself into whatever their mindset was. Uh, you have a defensive-minded head coach that comes in. You want to give him a guy to kind of build that defense around. The reports and kind of the murmurs have been that Cal McNair wanted to take a quarterback in the top five, and they wanted to take Mo Anderson. So now you get to placate both of those parties. Again, I don't think these are good arguments, but I can understand how the Texans landed there, even if I think it's a dangerous path to take. Do you think D'Amico Ryans, this is my theory, I don't, I don't report this because I don't know if it's actually true, but just my theory. Do you think D'Amico Ryans went to them during the hiring process and said, that job you have that's not particularly desirable, it would, it would sure be a lot more interesting to me if we made sure we had Will Anderson in this year's draft. Like, it kind of feels like, you know, it, it felt like there was so much conversation about them taking Anderson at two in, in the final days before the draft that it felt like it also felt like they were battling themselves in a way. Like, like, like a lot of the conversations, even some of the conversations, the arguments that people have put out there since the pick was, you know, this was really a trade for C.J. Stroud, not a trade for Will Anderson. Do, do yeah. you buy that logic? I, I get that a little bit. Yes, because it doesn't really matter what order they go in at that point. You take the quarterback at two just to kind of, I don't know, you massage the, the narrative a little bit. But I definitely understand that thinking. And I I think multiple people have said that. I think Adam Schefter alluded that to, alluded to that a little bit where he said, yeah, really, they wanted to take Will Anderson at two and trade up for the quarterback. But you could switch the order and it doesn't really matter. If I was Will Anderson, it mattered to me. That's a couple million dollars, right? I think it's probably easier to spend that on a quarterback, right? Oh sure, and and I think I don't think it makes a big difference either way. But no, it doesn't really matter. But even so, if you're the Texans, is it worth trading that much for C.J. Stroud? 
I guess you could think of it that way, right? But no one's making you make that trade. You you could have just hung on and drafted Lucas Van Ness with the twelfth overall pick, or oh, sure. or you could have made the same trade that the Cardinals made back six, and mm-hmm. you could have had Tyree Wilson there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the that's also part of this argument is that this is about alternatives and opportunity costs too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Cardinals, if you look at that trade that they made for Paris Johnson, if you look at more advanced trade charts like. Uh, the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart, it was like two fifth round picks that they traded mm-hmm. to move up and get Paris Johnson. So I think that that's another thing to consider is what the alternative timelines were to get a high end defensive player that wasn't Will Anderson, if that's well, what you really wanted out of this process. Well, you talk about all that, but Nick Casario doesn't appear to at least publicly have considered that as a meaningful thing. He said, quote unquote, just from our perspective, it's not about what the points tell you on the chart. If you have conviction about a player and you want a player and you think the trade is the right thing for you to do, then you go ahead and do it. What what okay. I it's just not how any of this works. Well, it's not, not how any of this works, but what I always find fascinating about the people who leave New England is they invariably, oh, oh, often quickly, do things that the Patriots almost never do. How often do the Patriots put all of their draft picks into one bucket for one player, let alone an edge rusher? Just, it does not happen. And I understand uh-uh. teams are different. Go ahead. I'm just never, I'm not a like never trade up guy. I think we have plenty of evidence that sure. if you can move within tiers of players and you right. can give up, you know, like the Eagles traded up for Jalen Carter, but they gave away a 2024 fourth round pick to move up one pick for Jalen Carter. And the Cardinals traded up for Paris Johnson because right. they thought that he was clearly the best offensive lineman in the draft. They gave away the equivalent of two fifth round picks to trade up for Paris right. Johnson. Being aggressive is fine. Being aggressive and having these targeted strikes to go get players that you think are in a different tier than the other players you're talking about are fine. Giving up what you said, the equivalent of potentially the number one overall pick and another first round pick or a second round pick to do it, the history just tells us that usually is not worth doing. Right. And I think it get, like sometimes it gets painted as never trade up. And there's there's different kinds of trade ups, right? Like, like there's the moving up, like you said, a pick for Jalen Carter trading away one mid-round selection, especially if you're accruing mid-round selections by also trading down at other points during the draft, that's not going to bother me. That's not a big deal. The Patriots do do that. Around. I think a lot of teams right. have started to do that, where it's like, okay, I'll, the Cardinals did that. Mm-hmm. You know, They gave away the 33rd pick to move back up for Paris Johnson, but they picked up a fourth-round pick, I believe, in the process. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that we've learned that that downgrade from the second-round pick to the fourth-round pick is not nearly as much as we used to think it was. So those sorts of moves are far more acceptable. It's where you get into problems is stuff like the Will Anderson thing being the most extreme, but also like the move that the Broncos made for Riley Moss or the move that the Panthers made last year for Matt Corral. When you're moving back into a round and then trading away a future second or a future third round pick in order to do that, even those sort of strikes have proved over time to typically not be worth it. And that's before we get to multiple first round picks for trades up for Mm non-quarterbacks. So... Five years from now, how do you think we'll look back at this? Disaster? Just kind of a, a bad use of assets? Um, you know, catastrophic? How, how, how do you think? Because it feels like this is going to be, these two picks are going to define Nick Casario's career in Houston. How do you think we'll look back on this five years from now? I don't think it'll be a disaster because I do think that Will Anderson does have a very high floor for all of the reasons <laughs> that we've, we've described. It's like just it's, it's personality stuff. Like sure. it, it, the the idea that this is a guy who's going to be the right presence in your building, who's going to go about his job in the right way, like that stuff matters. Like it, when you're making these bets on these sort of guys this high in the draft, I think that stuff matters. And I do think that his skill set specifically is going to make him useful. He's going to be really good against the run. He's going to be, I think, at the worst, a good secondary rusher on mm-hmm. your team. But again. If this is a guy whose cap is you know eight sacks in a season and he's the second best player on your defensive line in fifty you percent know, of the outcomes, that's a lot to give up for that guy. When you consider and look at the trades that are going to be on the table for them next year, and you think about the timeline that they're on, so I don't think it's going to be a disaster just because I do think he's going to be uh, an NFL player who's impactful for a long time, even if he's not a superstar. But I do think we're going to look back on this, and when you consider the 2024 draft as part of it, and think that it's a real missed opportunity and a mis- real misallocation of resources. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about the other big trade or the other series of trades that led to a curious decision in the first round, and that was the Lions taking Jameer Gibbs at 12. I mean, Bijan Robinson to the Falcons at eight. 
not not you know we could raise the same questions we raised in the past i don't think we need to do that but not surprising that the falcons would do that necessarily i was a little surprised but not that surprised i did not say the lions taking jameer gibbs at 12. and so this actually shocked me because we just did a podcast a couple weeks ago on i don't know how you would draft spirals or just years of trying to fill a position like how, how would you explain it yeah just what missing out what consistently whiffing in the nfl draft looks like like what the actual implications of consistently missing in the nfl draft how it adds up over time and we did not talk about the lions and their running backs which shocks me because this might be the best possible example of how many times you can whiff it, especially one of the easiest positions to fill in football. I tweeted it, I'll say it again, just since Barry Sanders retired, which was, I believe, 99 or 2000, um, the Lions have taken now 10 players in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, including three first rounders and four second rounders. Those players, Ruben Drones, Kevin Jones, Brian Calhoun, Kevin Smith, Javid Best, Mikel LaShore, Amir Abdullah, Kerryon Johnson, DeAndre Swift, and now Jameer Gibbs, they've combined for one season with 1,000 rushing yards in Detroit. It is, you can't count on everybody, you know, succeeding. Maybe other players made more of an impact as a receiver, but I mean, that's, that's staggering that they could spend so many meaningful draft picks at one position where, again, the the hit rate is the, in the first round is the lowest in football, but overall it's so, it's just so easy to find useful players in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh undrafted rounds when it comes to running back. And the Lions are still using the 12th overall pick on a guy who might not even be a lead back in Detroit. They just gave David Montgomery like, Eleven million dollars yes. guaranteed on his deal. Yes, in, they like, just incredible. did it like a month ago. What, what? Like, do you think when they give David Montgomery that deal, they're at a point where they feel confident they're going to draft Jameer Gibbs or they're going to try and draft Jameer Gibbs in the first round? I, I kind of think so. I, mean, yes. I think that's what their mindset was. We have twelve and eighteen. We're going to be in range to do this. We're going to be able to go and get him. And they really wanted him. I mean, you saw Brad Holmes's reaction after they drafted him with a 12th overall pick. I mean, I think they absolutely had designs on getting that guy. Whether they knew in they, on March they, they had they had six and eighteen at first. There was oh, excuse me, six and eighteen, yes. They 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 were apparently, according to reports, even considering taking him at six. Dude, I, I would like... I would love to hear I would love to just get some truth serum and the guys running that building and just be like, all right, why? Like what? What? Why do you? Re- I don't. I don't think you need truth serum to get Dan Campbell to tell you how he feels about a player he likes. But just like really, really lay out the thinking for me. Like why this guy over a, a potential impact player at a high value position on defense, mm-hmm. for example. The way that I've thought about this, and I may be miscasting, you know, how they see their team and what their thinking is. I think they looked at what they were last year, and they're in their minds like we're close. Sure. You know, we we have we had these one or two pieces. You know, we're really on the upswing here. You know, just think about what Jameer Gibbs could be if you tack it on to the 2022 Lions offense when we were third in the NFL in EPA per play. You know, if you and then just look at you know, look at the guys we have on defense. You know, we filled these mm-hmm. needs in free agency. We have guys slotted in at all of our starting corner spots now. You know, Jack Campbell, if we drop him in as that second linebacker, which again, I don't know how much sense that makes after re-signing Alex Anzalone to a fairly big, big deal. Sure. If we had these like again, these like kind of targeted spots at positions of need, these little flourishes on both sides of the ball, that's gonna push forward who we were last year. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, we're gonna be a real solid playoff team in the NFC. I just think that making moves based on what you were a year ago is really dangerous because yeah. similar to the Houston thing, yeah, would we be surprised at all if we get to the end of the 2023 season? I think, man, you know, it's it would have been nice to have one more pass rusher as part of this or man, it would have been nice to have one more like high leverage pass catcher as part of this when our other outside receivers are a combination of Marvin Jones and Josh Reynolds right now. It feels like the guy with a great 
dynasty fantasy football keeper list like taking a kicker three rounds too early in the actual draft like oh i got that one if i could just fill that one hole at kicker i'll be good it like there's so many things that are going to come into play with the roster over the course of a given year and we know like over the long run you're you're not going to have better shots at landing premium players at edge rusher which they still need a cornerback which even though they made major additions they still need well we talked about this emmanuel mosley has played i think 16 games over the last two years yeah he is slotted in to be one of their starting outside corners right now how surprised would we be at all if it was week six and Jerry Jacobs was now starting at corner again for the Lions. And I like Jerry Jacobs. I think that he's been you know, pretty good when given the opportunity as an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. But we're getting, getting to week 12, and it's like, man, only if the Lions had another corner. And they could have drafted one. They were in yes. position to get Christian Gonzalez or Emmanuel Forbes if they didn't like Christian Gonzalez mm-hmm. or all of these guys. I think that the idea of drafting best player available is often silly. Teams draft players at positions of need fairly often, and I don't ha- really have a problem with that as long as you're not overdrafting guys by a ton. But there's some teams where they're in this position after the way they use their free agency money by spreading it out, filling needs mm-hmm. to say, okay, we can go get reinforcements behind the guys that are starters right now. We don't have to reach for needs. But I think that you do that at high value positions. So a year from now or two years from now, you don't have needs at those high value positions. Also, the not only did the Lions have David Montgomery, they also have DeAndre Swift, who might be obviously has injury concerns, but is is he really that much worse than Jameer Gibbs projects to be at the NFL level? They clearly just were frustrated with DeAndre Swift. Oh, I, mean, sure. I think that's that's clearly what we've learned from this is that they just didn't want him to be a part of this anymore. And they thought if we could have a more reliable version of that player, because DeAndre Swift for stretches last season in that offense was electric. Oh, sure. So if we could have a more reliable version of that guy who could stay on the field and play the way we want him to sure. think about what we could be. And okay. that, again, gets back to my original point is that they're they're trying to thread this needle where they're like, oh, we were this. And if we drop in this one more thing, it's just going to keep going on the exact same trajectory. And I think that thinking like that is often problematic for NFL teams. Did you see who signed today in terms of running backs? Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon. Like, like, what are the chances the Lions are better if they just offer Jarek McKinnon twice what he's making with the Chiefs in guaranteed money, which I'm assuming is not going to be very much. Maybe it's $3 million. And they still trade DeAndre Swift, and they just draft an edge rusher or a cornerback at 12. So here, this is part of my issue. One of the things maybe we'll talk about. The timeline and the the outcomes for what would make a Jameer Gibbs worth the 12th overall pick. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that conversation is often about their receiving ability and what they Mm -hmm. can be as receivers. Do you know who the most efficient pass catching running back in the NFL was in terms of EPA per target last season? I'm assuming it's Jarek McKinnon. It's Jarek McKinnon, who the Chiefs signed for next to nothing. Yes, and who and, I, I like Jared McKinnon. I'm going to be honest here. I don't think he's the one who's the primary driver of that EPA. Okay, that's fine. I, <laughs> and if that's the case, if you can be the most efficient pass catching running back in the league for reasons that have very little to do with you, right? Maybe we shouldn't be talking ourselves into drafting running backs with a 12th overall pick based on their receiving ability, right? And, and I think there's also that that element now that's come out quite often when it comes to highly highly uh touted running backs of oh we're gonna move him around we're gonna you know, put, it, put him in the man. slot like like you know Bijan robinson's gonna run post routes at the nfl and like yes arthur smith is a lunatic he actually is gonna move Bijan robinson around i do believe that but like even though i think uh ben johnson's a, a very good offensive coordinator and they have a really fun offense to watch like how many routes do you think Jameer Gibbs is really going to run as a split out receiver or in the slot in 2023? How good that, is he going to be at doing them? It's all it's always the thing that I ask. It's like, what does this actually look like in practice? Like, what are you going to ask him to do that a competent third receiver wouldn't be better at doing? Are you really creating this many more matchups for yourself? And I think we have some examples of this working out where if you look at the target volume and you look at the efficiency on those targets, this guy is like truly a dynamic pass catcher, no matter what you do with him. But the the list of those guys is essentially just Christian McCaffrey (laughs) over the last five years. If you just want to stack up EPA per target, first downs per target, all of those numbers around just running backs, Mm -hmm. he's the only guy year in and year out that ranks in the top five, seven 
on those lists of running backs. Even Alvin Kamara isn't in that conversation every single year. Mm -hmm. So I just think the actual examples of guys being used that way and being needle movers for your pass, your passing game efficiency at that position is so, so short that that being the driver for why you would draft a guy that high, Mm -hmm. it's almost a non-starter to me. So the Lions take Gibbs at 12 and then they take Jack Campbell at 18. Let's say the Lions take... I don't know, uh, some kind of, let's say they take Christian Gonzalez at 12, and then they take Jameer Gibbs at 18. Is that significantly better? Do you think there's way less of a, way less in terms of blowback to the Lions? Or is it the fact that they took a running back and then took, you know, a a future team captain inside linebacker at 18 that makes this even more upsetting? I think that's I I agree with you. I, I think that that makes it a little bit easier to stomach because you're, it's getting back to what you said about the rare opportunities you have to draft high impact players at high value positions. And if you can use one of your first round picks to do that in a year where you have two first round picks, I think that the collective football internet is a little bit less upset with you. <laughs> but I mean, again, like Brad Holmes has done generally really good work. Over the course they of deserve the, the benefit of the doubt based on what they've done so far, but it's really, really hard to get behind what they just did. Is there, I guess you've sort of alluded to this, like, like what does Jameer Gibbs have to be? Is Alvin Kamara, does that justify it if you get him in 12? Because Alvin Kamara, I'll remind you, was a third round pick in, in the draft when he went to the Saints. I think that's probably the range they have to be in. It's similar to the Will Anderson conversation where you have to be one of those guys that exists in that tiny band of outcomes where you are a real difference maker in the passing game. And the number of running backs who truly are that, the list is really small. If you actually look at the numbers, like Saquon Barkley this year, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley was a centerpiece for this Giants offense. Oh, he, sure. was, he was the most important positional player on their offense. Saquon Barkley on a per target level this year as a running back was one of the least efficient pass catching running backs in the NFL when you look at it on a per target level because the passes to running backs traditionally just aren't efficient plays. So well, if you're going to have this guy be the centerpiece of your passing game, it probably means that your passing game isn't very good. Right. I'm not arguing with you. I agree with you, but I know or I feel very confident that a lot of those passes were just Daniel Jones saying, Saquon, you figure it out. Like, that's also true. Like, that's but, also the, true. But, but then you shouldn't draft a guy to be that, oh, you figure it out guy. Like Saquon was that guy as a rookie. And of course, he made some incredible plays doing it, but it wasn't like he was able to single handedly make the Giants a good offense in that role. That's also part of the thinking is that what does this guy have to be to, to be the driver of a really good offense when you're drafting that guy in the first half of the first round. It's just hard to think about that example, those examples for running backs. It really is. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. I mean, McCaffrey, um, you know, to, to, to sort of reiterate your point, like McCaffrey was great for the Niners this year in that offense in a very specific role, but the Panthers were better running the football without him. Like, yes. Not to Foreman and Ch- Chuba Hubbard. Uh, were a much better combination running the football and that offense looked better and was more effective with those guys in the lineup. I'm not saying they're as good as Christian McCaffrey, but you know, I, I think the effects of have great running back X, Y, and Z happen are not quite as clear as maybe people make it out to be. They're not. And if you look at another example, I think the Falcons were third in EPA for rushing attempt last year. Can we can we point out, by the way, the Falcons? Arthur Smith goes there. The first year they have Cordero Patterson, a, a of course an incredible return man, but not an NFL running back for any extended period of time outside of a little bit with the Patriots. He's great. It's like, okay, great. We found a running back out of nothing. They draft Tyler Algier in the fifth round. He is great. The lesson they learned from that was to take a running back in the top 10. I know. I know. Dude. Incredible. <laughs> And if even if you look beyond that, the teams again, the Panthers ranked really high in rushing efficiency last year, and that was after the Christian McCaffrey trade. The two teams at the top <laughs> are the Eagles and the Ravens. The Eagles let their running back walk this offseason. Just like, oh, whatever, man. And the Ravens, like, who was the best running back on the Ravens last year? <laughs> oh gosh. That's a quarterback-driven thing. Mm-hmm. So it there's just so many examples of this about how rushing efficiency even is not based on the running back that you have. And if we're talking about best case scenario outside of just receiving backs, right? Like if you what can a running back be within the context of your offense in the NFL to kind of dictate value? And you probably go back to a guy like Derrick Henry, right? In like 2019, 2020. 
No question. And there are certain aspects in the kind of the conversation around Derrick Henry at that time was, okay, like he dictates what the defense does to you. Their play action game is as efficient as it is because Derrick Henry is back there. Sure. You get all these stacked boxes because Derrick Henry is back there. I have a number for you. Oh, no. in, 20, in 2020, when Derrick Henry was not on the field for the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. they 58.9% of their runs were into eight-man boxes, which was the highest rate in the league, when wow. he was not on the field. Wow. From 2019 to 2021, that stretch where they were really good on offense with play action, mm-hmm. their EPA per drop back on play action was 0.27 without Derrick Henry and 0.33 with Derrick Henry. Essentially mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those six like those quality elements to the titans offense over that stretch mm-hmm. were based on the personnel that they used mm-hmm. and just the way that their play action game was constructed mm-hmm. i mean you can talk yourself into derrick henry being the driving force behind that but the evidence just doesn't really point to that it's more about the construction of the offense and he was fantastic as a runner like mm-hmm. as a runner if you look at the rushing stats and what he was getting compared to what the average running back would get in those circumstances 100 of course he was better but if you look at the general ecosystem around the offense it kind of exists independently of or as close to independently as you can get from who the running back is. And I think that's the problem with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking like Howie Roseman and the Eagles, there were a lot of people picking B. John Robinson for them at 10. And I'm sure the Eagles were happy to encourage people to put that out there. If they could know what a running back's career would be like what would it have taken the eagles in terms of of nfl careers from running backs what running back career could they be assured of where they would have taken a running back at nine as opposed to jalen carter I think like Ladanian Tomlinson. Uh, yeah, maybe is probably the line. <laughs> maybe, and you you brought up a really good point just before we started recording this show. It's about time. The uncertainty with running back outcomes. We haven't even mentioned that. Like how often guys get hurt. The you know, hit rate on these guys. I mean, the lack of fifth year options Dude, picked up Derek, for running back since it started. Derek, I mean, we Derek Henry. That. Derek Henry, who was a second round pick, by the way. The Titans were trying to trade Derek Henry. Uh, at the trade deadline, his second season, before they sort of begrudgingly gave him the rock, and he had that like ninety-nine yard rush against the Jaguars on Thursday night, and it was it was all good from there. But like, it's not as if even Derrick Henry was like this unbridled success. No. It took him really three years to get going, and then of course he was phenomenal for, for two seasons. But I think so much of what happens here is so dependent on where you land and you know, the, the, the scheme you're working in and the, your health. And of course that's true for other, other positions, but it but does it's, feel it's so much less true for, for other positions. Yes. It's so much less true. And and that's the argument that, that, that is at the core of it is that so many of these other positions that you can take in the top 12 and the top half of the first round and the first half in general are often guys who are going to succeed almost independent of what you put around them to an extent. You know, receivers are always going to be somewhat dependent on quarterback play, but corners, pass rushers, positions you could absolutely argue the Lions needed, those guys are just going to be guys you can drop in. And that is part of the argument for why they're worth these picks and running backs often are not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I am guessing that people who've been listening to this conversation are probably upset about the horse that we've now beaten into the ground. But it just feels like, you know, it, you want to have a smart discussion about it. And you don't want to say running backs are not valuable, that you should never take a running back in the first round. And I, I do think the Lions are are going to be happy with Jameer Gibbs. I think the Falcons are going to be happy with Bijan Robinson. I just think you don't get to see the alternative. You don't get to see what our team would be like if we had taken a player who plays a more important position at, at you know, at edge rusher, at cornerback, at tackle, which the Lions need a tackle, but the, the Falcons certainly need, need a rushing help. Um, you don't get to see what that outcome would have been like. And I think even beyond the stuff about the fifth year option stuff about players, you know, just whiffing altogether, I think even when the guys do work out, you don't get to see that alternative. And I think that alternative for many teams would have been better. And I, I think the, the classic one, the one that came up today with the Chiefs and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Do you know who the next player taken in the draft after Clyde Edwards-Alaire was? Period or at running back? Period. 
Mm, no, I don't remember. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the 32nd pick in the first round of the 2020 draft. The 33rd pick, the first selection of the second round, was at a position. T. Higgins, right? T. Higgins. Yeah. You know, at a position where you would have said, okay, the Chiefs, they don't need a wide receiver. They have Tyree Kill. They have Travis Kelsey. And two years later, before they even traded Tyree Kill, they lost that game in part because they didn't have a third option who was any good behind Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. The, The point here. And I think this is the biggest point, and we can end it on this if you want to, so we don't beat the horse don't, anymore. Don't, don't, you're not wrapping up my own show. Mate. I'm not, I'm wrapping up go this part it. of the conversation. Luxury picks do not exist. You are never in a position building an NFL roster to take luxury picks, ever. And the, the best example for me for last year is the Buffalo Bills. We They walked into last offseason. And they had arguably the best roster in the league, according to anyone talking about this oh, kind sure. of stuff. I'm sure I said it. Like, all right, what else do we need? What can really take us over the top here? They were phenomenal on offense in those playoffs, mm-hmm. right? They're just a supernova. Their main motivation last offseason was to find a pass-catching running back. That is what we need. We need a pass-catching running back. They tried to sign J- J.D. McKissick. They didn't get him. And then they spent a second-round pick on James Cook. And then we got to the end of the 2022 season. And what did we say about the Bills? Man, they can really use another pass catcher, huh? You forgot. They traded for Naheem Hines. They traded for Naheem Hines. Yes. So just all of these different ways of trying to do it. Or, oh, man, the Bills could. They could really use another you know defensive lineman. Or they could really use another pass catcher. Or, man, another offensive lineman would have been kind of nice for the Bills right now, huh? I mean, just all of these examples. And I think that the Lions very well might find themselves in a similar position at the end of this season. Okay, let's finish up with one question about another team in the NFC North. We covered the Packers. We covered the Lions. Mays, how do you feel about Darnell Wright, new presumably right tackle for your Chicago Bears? I think it makes a lot of sense. I I always anticipated that they would try to come away from the first round of this year's draft with a tackle. They were in a position to find one, even if the run on tackle started early, which it did with Paris Johnson going six, Mm -hmm. they were still going to be in a position to get one of these guys because I think that Ryan Pulse has done a really good job of this. I think that they've tried to balance the present and the future. And they've tried to do everything they can to make sure the right pieces are around Justin Fields by the, by the start of this season mm. to get an answer on Justin Fields. And I think that that last tackle, that one more lineman, was kind of the last piece of that puzzle. They didn't overspend on Mike McGlinchey in free agency. I'm glad that they didn't. So I, now I, you have... I think they tried. I think they tried. And I, I th- I'm glad it didn't work out. So now you have a guy that you, you spent a first-round pick on. He was People really liked him in the process. He had a fantastic senior year at right tackle specifically. Now you drop him in. You, know, you have, from top to bottom a workable starting offense now. I mean, mm-hmm. think about how far they've come from where they were a year ago when oh, everyone sure. was freaking out because they didn't draft the receiver in that draft. And I was one of those people. It, it, they are in such a better position. And then you spend multiple second round picks, your third round pick, taking swings on athletes on defense mm-hmm. and just trying to start the process of rebuilding that side of the ball, which is going to take longer than the offense has. And I'm totally fine with it because that's what I want by the end of this season. I want an answer. I want to know whether or not they can move forward with Justin Fields or they have to use those two first-round picks to be the team that goes up and gives the Cardinals all of those picks because the Texans traded for Will Anderson. So as currently constructed, given their depth chart on paper, given the chances, you know, guys get hurt. It's never going to be perfect. But given what they have, you feel good saying if Justin Fields is not the guy by the end of 2023, you're ready to call it a day and move on? I think you have to consider that. I think you need him to clear a certain bar. You know, this is not dissimilar to what the Eagles did last year. You know, the Eagles put themselves in a position where if Jalen Hurts wasn't the guy, they had two first round picks. You know, they could have made that trade up for an Anthony Richardson at three if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I think that giving yourself that opportunity and giving yourself that off ramp is hugely important. It's all about what your pivot points are. It's all about how flexible you are in the way that you're building your team moving forward. And I think that Ryan Poles has done a good job of that. Again, balancing the need to improve your offense in the short term to get those answers with the flexibility into the future to pivot if you need to. And that's why I think that they've done a decent job. Do you think they trade one of the wide receivers? Obviously not DJ Moore, but do you think they trade Claypool or Mooney? 
I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think you really need to. I, I that would mean that you have to like thrust Tyler Scott into that role pretty early if you're going to play a decent amount of eleven personnel. And no, I, you have no faith in Velas Jones. Come on. I I don't. I think the Velas Jones is a kick returner and a gadget guy. I think that's what he was from the start. Okay. So I I think that you just roll with the group that you have now. If you and you let Mooney walk in free agency, if that's what it comes to, because you have a guy in Tyler Scott that I think can really play that role for you. I mean, Dane had him, Dane Brugger, our draft guy at the athletic, he had Tyler Scott as like a second round pick and he wow. really likes him as a player. And so if that can be the guy that can just step in for Mooney, if he has to walk in free agency because the other guys are getting expensive, whatever, I think that that's a totally fine plan. So I would just go into the season with that being a position of strength rather than being one injury away from it being a position of need again. Mm-hmm. That's fair. We will see. We have a lot to evaluate from this draft, but Robert Mays, where can people check out more of your thoughts on the NFL? Uh, we're doing the athletic football show four days a week this offseason. So lunatic. Uh, if you want to come listen to football all all May, every single day, uh, we're going to have stuff coming your way. I'll be on three of those shows. Mike Sando and Randy Mueller do the football GM on Thursdays. Uh, again, we'll have four shows a week all the way through training camp including when i'm on my honeymoon so uh if you want to come check those out uh i hold encourage hold you up. to do so are you, are you doing shows from your honeymoon no you're do you have tape shows for for your honeymoon we are banking shows when i for when i'm on my honeymoon yes okay i like i like I, how many shows are you banking for your honeymoon five or six five or six you're not going to be somewhere i don't know where you're going on your honeymoon you're I'm not, going to i'm going to greece you're not going to be in greece on a beach somewhere frantically worried that like some backup tackle is going to tear an ACL and you're going to have to re-record something. I I am taking my first real vacation in a long time. I am going to be off. I'm not going to be responsible for anything that happens. If those things happen, we have people at our company who can tag a little intro uh, onto the show if necessary, and we will go from there. I also took uh, three weeks off for my honeymoon last year, and I got lucky. I don't think anything big happened while I was gone, but... It was a scary one. Three weeks with no actual way to do content. Not not used to it. Don't like this it. is this will be, I believe, the first time that I have traveled without my podcast equipment <laughs> in uh, like a decade. Yeah, you'll be so lost without your podcast equipment that works constantly. This is another conversation for another. This is a different podcast, actually, but. I wish you the best of luck, Robert Mays. Don't Thanks, get buddy. don't get sad about not being on the podcast while you're on vacation on your honeymoon. Though. I'm leaving that phone in the room, man. I'm just yeah. gonna be sitting by the caldera in Santorini with my <laughs> phone just like hundreds of miles away from me. Is my plan? Just doing olive samplers is that what I picture you doing. That sounds great. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> wonderful. All right, Robert Mays. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks so much to my friend Robert Mays for hopping on. I hope you guys enjoyed our our mix of fifth year option and draft discussion. Do we have another draft show in us? I'm not sure. There's still more draft stuff I haven't talked about, but we'll see if there's an interest. I might end up going in a different direction, but more football coming here on the Bill Barnwell show. Not four shows a week, thankfully, but definitely shows throughout the summer here as we hit kind of the lull of the NFL season and before we start previewing things for 2023. So hope you guys enjoyed this and more audio on the way.